0: Good morning. Um, if you have your Bibles with you, which I hope that you do, we're going to be in James chapter 2, looking at verses 14 through the end of the chapter, through verse 26. Uh, if you don't know me, my name is Logan, and uh, we just got done with the book of Ecclesiastes, going through that verse by verse. And next week we'll be jumping into a brand new series going through the gospel of John. So for this in-between week, Pastor Tim asked if I would prepare a sermon and just use this opportunity to preach on something that I feel that God is calling me to preach on. Um, And so, I've been thinking this week, what is that thing? What is that thing that God would have for me to say now? Um, And this word just kept coming back to me, inauthenticity. Inauthenticity. What does it mean to be inauthentic? You know, you might disagree with me on this, but I think... Has everybody had a frozen yogurt before? I'm going to tell you right now, I think that frozen yogurt is inauthentic. I think it's trying to be ice cream, but it really just isn't ice cream. It's, you know, it's good, but it's just not good enough, right? It's just, it's, it's kind of inauthentic, I would say. What would it mean if I was inauthentic? What would it mean for any of us to be inauthentic? It would mean that we're claiming to be somebody that we really aren't. We're claiming to be a person that behind closed doors or in front of different people, we're totally changed. We're totally a different person. Um, What would it mean if a Christian was inauthentic? What would it mean if a Christian was inauthentic? I think that that would mean that the faith that they claim that they have, the faith that they claim that they have in Jesus, hasn't transformed their life that they claim they belong to Jesus, but the rest of their life doesn't really follow suit. They claim that they're somebody in Jesus, and then, you know, really behind closed doors, or maybe not around the same people, maybe when they're by themselves, that's not really who they are. What would it mean for a Christian to be inauthentic? You know, so James is going to be tackling this idea of inauthenticity in the whole book, right? We're gonna be looking at chapter two. Um, He's looking at the difference between real faith, real, saving, authentic faith, and dead faith. Because there is a difference. He's going to make the difference, very known to us, and make it obvious. But the question we need to be asking ourselves is, am I living out the faith I claim to have? I think it's important for the Christian the person that claims Christ as their own, to regularly evaluate themselves, to regularly look inwardly, to be introspective, and to question, is my faith saving faith? Am I walking the walk or am I just simply talking the talk? Okay. So we're doing this for for a pointed reason. I want you to have assurance I want you to know that you're saved. I want you to know where you're going to be when you die. I want you to know that you're going to be in heaven. I want you to know that you're sa- your faith is saving faith. But also, on the reverse of that, I don't want you to be deceived. I don't want you to think that your faith is saving faith. Think that you have true, authentic faith in Jesus, but you're only kidding yourself. Okay? I can't think of a sadder place to be. The Christian knows where they're going. The atheist knows, or well, I guess they don't know. They, they think that they know that they're going nowhere. Um, but to have an assurance of heaven, of salvation, and then it not be true for you, it not uh, the faith that you have not have been saving faith? I can't think of a sadder position for a Christian to find themselves in. So that's why we're doing that. So we're going to seek to uh, answer this question today. Is my faith saving faith? Let's start in verse 14 of James chapter 2. James starts with what I think is a um, kind of a rhetorical question. He says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith, but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If our faith has no works, is that saving faith? Really, rather, he's asking, is that faith at all? If somebody says, I have faith, but I don't have works, is that really even faith? Um, I guess it would probably be helpful to define works uh, if somebody doesn't know what I'm talking about here. Uh, Works, when I talk about this, are uh, good or righteous deeds that people do. Um, You know, helping an old lady cross the street, giving a homeless person money. These are works. Um, But I want to be clear before we dive into the relationship between works and faith, the Bible has a very clear teaching across the board about how our faith um, saves us. We are saved by faith alone. Right? That's never a question. The Bible in Romans and Galatians and Ephesians and really all throughout the Bible teaches the same concept that we are justified, we are made right before a holy God on the basis of faith alone. By grace through faith, you are saved in Christ, okay? However, there is an r- important relationship between faith and works. They are tied together and they, are, um, they work off of each other, if you will. It's very important to understand the relationship between the two well. So how are they related? Faith produces works. Or said differently, works is the byproduct of faith. Works is the um, proof, the evidence of faith in your life. Works authenticate your faith. It shows you, wow, you really do have faith, and I can tell because your life shows it. Okay? Works are a byproduct of faith. James goes on in verses 15 through 17 to use a a really helpful metaphor. Um, I really, really enjoy it. It says this, verse 15 through 17. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to him, go in peace, be warmed and filled. Uh, That's very nice of you to say that to them. Without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. So he says, basically, if you see a homeless person who is in need, who is hurting, and you say, hey, man, have a great meal. I hope that warm food warms your tummy right up. And you don't give them any food. That was worthless. You didn't even need to say that. Same as if we say, I have faith in Jesus, but if our lives don't substantiate that claim, it's pointless, it's worthless, it's dead, it's a fraud, and it's not saving faith. It's important to understand you can't just say something. Just because you claim something doesn't make it true. You can't just tell a homeless person that you're, you hope they have a warm night tonight if you don't give them a warm place to stay. It's meaningless as a person. Who claims to be a Christian, your life has to show evidence of the faith that you have. If it doesn't, if that claim isn't matched by your lifestyle, it's meaningless. It's all talk and no walk. It's all lip service to God without being true for you. James says in verse 17, that if your faith looks like it like this, it is dead a claim of faith that doesn't result in the believer doing good works and doesn't result in the life of the believer being dramatically changed dramatically transformed after the image of his creator that faith is void empty and meaningless it's just simply a claim faith and works are inseparable we're reminded of that in verse 18 it says and someone will say you have faith and I have works show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. These two concepts, faith and works, are tied together. They're inseparable. They're inseparable. We can't lose track of this truth right here, that you can't even do good works if it wasn't for Christ in your life. We can't even have good works if it wasn't for Jesus moving and working and changing our lives. Before Christ, our Bible says, our works are but filthy rags. It's pretty hard to get cleaned up with a filthy rag, okay? There's no way that we can move our station, our position, closer to God any way on our own doing, by, by living a good life, by giving to the poor, by loving and serving others. That's not how we grow towards God, Works does not save us. We can't even have them without Christ. Um, A famous, well, maybe not famous, uh, a a popular English preacher from the 1600s that was part of the Puritan movement, kind of sprang out of the Protestant Reformation, named Thomas Brooks, said this. It's one of my favorite quotes. He says, Till men have faith in Christ, their best services are but glorious sins. See, before Jesus was in your life, even the things that had the appearance of good, where you would say, oh yeah, that, that, that was a good thing that I did, even those are so tainted and marked by your own depravity, by your own sinful nature, that even those things are bankrupt. They're not righteous. They're filthy rags. Nothing outside of a relationship with Jesus can have righteousness. We can't even do good if we don't have faith in Christ. So some people try to separate faith and works, try to separate them. And there's really, there's two ways in which people will try to separate the two. There are people today, if you find that this is a basic thing, if if you're thinking, man, I already know this, let me just tell you that there's a lot of churchgoers today that are in churches that teach that you have to have works in order to be saved. They're sitting in their churches right now at 10.30 a.m. and they're being told that in this city right now, that you must participate in, in the sacraments or that you must do certain things or you must be baptized in order to be saved. There's people being taught that right now, right? That, that works saves you, that their good actions save them. Just to be straight with you guys, that's garbage. We need to dismiss that ideology entirely. Entirely. We are not saved by works. However, on the other hand, there are people today that think that you can be as rotten as possible. That you can do whatever you want that you can go on sinning the same sin every day, never repent, never change, and just because you claim that you're a Christian, you're saved. To be straight with you again, that is also garbage. That is not correct. We cannot just simply claim that Jesus has changed our lives. We cannot simply claim that God is real. We have to Depend on Jesus. Our life has to be being transformed after the image of Jesus. There's a difference between claiming to be a Christian and living as a Christian. There's a difference between saying, I believe in God, and living a life that has been radically transformed by that belief. So it continues then. We're having a little bit of an issue. Why is my thing doing this? All right, there we go. My little keyboard popped up on my screen, and it messed me up. All right. So there's a difference between claiming to be a Christian and living your life as a Christian. The next verse is probably one of the most... um, Uh, scary verses, I think, in the Bible. It's one of the most um, sobering verses. Verse 19 says this. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. We're told that even the demons believe in God. Even the demons believe that God is real. They have a knowledge of him. They believe he exists, but they don't submit to him. And there lies the difference. Um, There's an issue today in modern Christianity called easy believism. It's this concept where uh, all it takes to be saved is to say, I believe in Jesus. You've probably heard that. You've probably heard that recently. There's people walking around today living their lives with this false assurance that they're saved that they're a Christian, that they're going to heaven when they die simply because they prayed a prayer 20 years ago, recited words after the pastor and asked Jesus into their life because they raised their hand at, um, you know, a call of salvation at a church service one time. But, But if you looked at their life, you would really have no idea that they were a Christian. Since that time 20 years ago that they accepted Jesus, you know, they you know, they really haven't read the Bible. They haven't really prayed. They don't really go to church. Um, And they're doing the same stuff that they were doing before. Nothing's really changed. It is not simply enough to have the right ideas about God. It said, you believe God is one, you do well. You, You believe God is God. You believe that in the Trinity, you believe these right concepts about God. It's not enough to have correct theology and doctrine. It's not enough to simply know things about God. You you, you have all these books, you've piled up these stacks and stacks of books, and you've read your Bible, and you've, you've studied and you've grown and you've listened to sermons, you go to church every week. You know all these things about God, but do you know God? It's possible to know a lot about somebody and not know them personally. It's not enough to know that God is one. If that's all you've got, if that's all you've got, you don't have saving faith. Real faith shows itself in that it responds to belief. There's a difference between faith and belief. Belief is just, yeah, I know it's real, Faith is responding to that belief. There's more to it. You believe and then your life must be totally, entirely, wholly changed to live like Jesus. You must submit to Christ as the Lord of your life. If you're the same as you were before accepting Jesus, I just want to be honest with you. I urge you to check yourself to look inwardly. Am I doing the same things with no conviction, no desire to repent? Am I living the same life I lived as a wretch before Jesus saved me? If so, I would just, I would just urge you to consider the fact that maybe, maybe Jesus hasn't saved you yet. Maybe your faith isn't really faith, it's just simply belief. You believe in God, sure but he's not the Lord of your life. You haven't submitted into, to him. You haven't given your life over to him, and you don't live for him. Your belief must be accompanied by fruit. It must be accompanied by evidence that your life belongs to him, that your life is his. If it is not, your faith is both dead, and James tells us our faith is like the faith of demons. That's not very encouraging kind of scary. Your belief must be accompanied by fruit. Now, I want you to imagine with me that you're walking through a field, you know, maybe you're on a hike, you know, on a path somewhere, and you come across several blueberry bushes. I had to look up what a blueberry bush looked like because, quite honestly, I didn't know. Um, but you're walking along, you see several blueberry bushes. You go up, and you're like, man, I would love some blueberries. And so you go over there and you start looking, you're picking some blueberries, and then you get to one bush and there's like zero blueberries on this bush. You might start to think, man, this is like the worst blueberry bush ever, (laughs) right? This is a terrible blueberry bush, a sorry excuse for a blueberry bush. This blueberry bush is terrible. And then you might think, you might have this thought, man, I wonder if this is even a blueberry bush. I wonder if this is even a blueberry bush. And so when we're considering ourselves as Christians, maybe the wrong question to be asking is, am I an unproductive Christian? Am I an unproductive, not fruit-bearing Christian? Am I like a blueberry bush that's just a bad blueberry bush? Or am I a blueberry bush at all? The question maybe we should be asking is, Am I even a Christian if I don't bear fruit? Following me? Am I even a Christian if I don't bear fruit? Jesus himself, from the mouth of Jesus, said this. I'm going to go over to Matthew 7, Matthew chapter 7, in verses 21 through 23. This is another very, very uh, sobering passage. Matthew 7, 21 through 23 you workers of lawlessness. That first verse there, verse 21, seems to be saying uh, that it's clear that a person needs to have faith plus works to be saved. But he's not saying that. He says, the one who does the will of my Father, they have to have real substantiated faith, real proven faith, faith that's proved by works. However, Jesus continues He says, there's going to be people that come to him, that come to him and say, "Um, look at all these works I did. I casted out demons in your name, Jesus. I prophesied about you, Jesus. Look at all these awesome things that I did, Jesus. That's not nothing. To to which Jesus will plainly look at them and say, no, it, it is nothing. I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. You're working, but if your works don't come as a result of the faith that you have, if you're working to earn your keep before God, as if your own merit and your own works can advance you any closer to Jesus, you're doing it for the wrong reason. Your works must flow from having faith, as a result of faith, as a, as a result of having a life that's been transformed by Jesus. If not, you are a worker of lawlessness, Your works are but filthy rags. Your best services are but glorious sins. If we needed more proof of the point that James is trying to make, he uses the Bible, which is always a helpful, good thing to do. He goes back to the Old Testament uh, in the story of Abraham. So verses 20 through 23 back in James chapter 2. is what we're referring to. God tested Abraham by telling him to sacrifice his only son, Isaac, as a burnt offering. Um, definitely saddened and scared and not wanting to really do that, he obeyed God. So he went up and just about when he was ready to sacrifice Isaac, uh, an angel of the Lord called out to him and said, said this, um, do not lay a hand, on the, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. That's Genesis twenty-two twelve. 12. And then God provided a ram that uh, was caught in a thicket in a bush nearby, and that was able to be used for the sacrifice. On a side note, that's a very beautiful story that's often misunderstood. It's symbolizing Christ. It's symbolizing, the mountain is called, it shall be provided, and literally, Um, God will not uh, withhold his only son from the sacrifice, but he did give us his only son, Jesus. And uh, to not get too lost into that, I, I love that story. But it is often misunderstood. So Abraham's faith and trust in God was shown to be authentic because it was accompanied by action, by a willingness to do something he would rather have not done. Um. By a willingness to do something uncomfortable, something he, that any of us would be very unlikely to want to do. I would be probably a little bit concerned for you if you were excited to do that act that Abraham was asked to do. Um, However, faith was completed by his works. And here comes, okay, so here comes another verse that is famous in Scripture. It's James chapter 2. Verse twenty-four um, that has been used to try to um, fight against the doctrine of justification by faith alone. It seems that they might be at odds with each other, but they're they're not at all. Um, anybody that thinks there are they are is is not paying attention to what the book of James is all about. It's all it's all been about having a faith that is accompanied and proven and shown to be true by works. So this is no different. He says this in verse 24. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. That seems pretty clear to be the opposite of what we've been saying, that we're saved by faith alone. He's saying we're not saved by faith alone, we're saved by works. Let me be clear. We are saved by faith alone. But James is making this very, very dramatic point that, um, that we are saved by faith alone, but authentic, saving faith is never alone. We are saved by faith alone, but saving faith is never alone. It is always substantiated by the life of the believer being transformed after Christ. If a person claims to be saved, yet their life shows no evidence of it, then it is likely that their faith is not saving faith I don't want you to hear what I'm not saying. Please don't hear what I'm not saying. You're still going to sin. You're still going to mess up, likely daily. This is not a, I don't really act like a Christian, so maybe I'm not saved now. Or maybe I, I didn't act like a Christian today, so I lost my faith. None of that, okay? This is a process. We've been talking about that we've been justified by faith alone, but we are sanctified, which means to be uh, made more like Jesus, we're being sanctified after his image by our, in our lives. So if we have not shown the evidence of a start of sanctification and a process that we're on, a journey that we're on of growing closer and closer to Jesus, that's kind of what we're talking about. You embark on a journey once you're saved, a journey of sanctification, and you should be growing in, in the fruit of the Spirit. You should be growing in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and in self-control, you should be increasing in your um, in the way that you exude Jesus daily. You should be growing. You shouldn't be regressing. You should be growing. That's not to say there won't be seasons of. Regression, where things have now gotten hard, and maybe you've started to kind of like trust in yourself a little bit more than Jesus, or maybe maybe life has just kind of gotten in the way, and you haven't really prayed for the past like two or three days. That doesn't mean that those things won't happen, but belief, true, authentic faith is marked by a desire, by a desire to be conformed after the image of our Creator, not to be transformed by um, the world, but to be conformed to, or not to be conformed to the world, but to be transformed by the renewal of our mind to be more like Christ. James uses another Old Testament example. We love it. We love it when we use the Bible to substantiate our claims. In verse 25, he says, and in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. So we're in talking about a story in Joshua chapter 2. Rahab was a prostitute living in the city of Jericho, and she had heard of the God that Israel worshipped. She had heard of them departing and uh, leaving um, Egypt, and she'd heard of these many mighty works of his, and she believed in their God and and had faith, if you will. Um, But that wasn't the end of it. Her faith was completed and shown to be true by her willingness to hide the Israelite uh, spies and help them not get caught. And so her and her family were actually spared from the destruction of Jericho and um, proving that um, their works evidenced the faith that she already had. Neither her nor Abraham in the previous example were saved by works, and we aren't either. Okay? Nothing I just need to be very clear, your works don't move you closer to God. If you you take one thing from this, know that the only thing that moves you closer to God is Jesus Christ, not by anything that you are able to muster up. Neither her or Abraham were saved by works. They were saved by their faith and their works evidenced their faith. Are you guys seeing a pattern? Have I said it enough? We are saved by faith, but our faith is never alone. If it's real saving faith, our faith is always accompanied by action, by doing, by serving, by loving like Jesus and doing his will. Our life shows that we have faith by how we live it after our Savior. The point James is trying to make over repeatedly throughout these verses you can't do it. It's not on you to save yourself. Jesus Christ alone saves sinners. And I'll wrap up verse 26, last verse. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. This is a great cap to This passage teaching on faith and works. Just as we are dead, desolate, depraved creatures, without hope, without life, without any means to advance our station closer to God by our own merit, just as we are dead without the Spirit of God, so also is our faith dead if it does not have the evidence of works in our life if it doesn't have a life that is being transformed by that faith your faith must be accompanied by work and jesus coming into our life we are given hope and life and life in abundance through christ and we have if you will fresh air breathed into these dead lungs and our, our lungs must have air in them to breathe. And our faith must have air in them to breathe. And, and you could think of this as works being the air and that, that, that proves and that your faith uses to sanctify you. Your faith must have breath in it to be alive. And the evidence of works shows that breath. The gospel of Jesus saving wretched, broken sinners who don't deserve him, who in fact reject him, who in fact hate him, that want nothing to do with him in their natural state, whose works are filthy rags, the gospel where that Jesus came to save sinners that bring absolutely nothing to the table, they're unlovable, unwilling to learn, unwilling to repent and they desire the things of the flesh you and me the fact that God chose to save people who are like that by sending his son Jesus to live the life that none of us could live because we're depraved and we're dead and die the death that all of us deserved and then be risen from the dead on the third day That gospel cannot impact you lightly. You can't just casually believe the gospel. If that word, if that gospel does not hit you in the chest and transform every area of your life after that to desire the things of God, you might not have the faith that you think that you have. I don't want you to have false assurance, church. If we know that Jesus is the Lord of our lives, if we strive, although we fail often, if we strive to live our lives for him as a living sacrifice, to glorify and honor and uphold him, to live in righteousness, that is what faith must look like gospel cannot affect us minimally. So ask yourself, is this thing something I just believe on Sundays or around certain people? Is this, is this thing, the gospel, is it something that, you know, it's a good story or is it everything to you? Is it just a story or is it your life Ask yourself, am I transformed by my faith in Christ? Am I transformed by Jesus? We have the opportunity now in this moment to remember, uh, to celebrate, to be strengthened by, and to rejoice in the sacrifice that Jesus made for us on the cross here now in the Lord's table. This is not something to be taken lightly. The gospel changes lives Your life has to show the evidence of the fact that Jesus' cross, his death, his sacrifice, his resurrection means something to you. It's not just a nice story. It's everything. So as I pray, I'm going to ask the elders in the band to come forward. um, and, And I just ask that you guys would be introspective in this time and look inwardly and seek Christ. Let's pray. God, you are so good. It is a hard thing to look at ourselves if we're honest with such a t- tough topic. Lord, does my life reflect that I am yours? Does my life bear the fruit of a person who has been born again, who is being continually renewed after your image, God? Does my life reflect that I belong to you? Thank you for the cross. Thank you for your sacrifice, Lord. Thank you that we have the sacrament of communion. That as a church body, we are able to celebrate, to grow in, to be given, to be given a time of remembrance that we can um, just wait in, to rest in, to think about that sacrifice and what it truly means to us. Lord, we love you. We thank you for all that you've done for us, all that you give us. And we, uh, we pray all these things in your name, amen.